Romans chapter 13. Now Lord willing, what I, what I hope to do is just about cover the rest of Romans 13 today. And then next week I want to deal a little bit more with verse 14. I just I don't feel like I'm going to say enough about that today. I think there's lots more that could be helpful that could be said about putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. But I would say this in starting. Those of you that were in the Sunday school, you heard Brother Craig talk about how we evangelize in one scenario over against another. And how He brought up the example of Paul. And Paul did this over here and he did that over there. And Craig was referring to how certain preachers may speak or they may communicate. And one thing I was thinking is some of the ways that you hear some of those preachers communicate If they were in the very scenario you were in, they wouldn't communicate that way. And and let me tell you this. It isn't like we can just take a list of rules or a list of laws and figure out how to do it all the time. But living this Christian life, Paul says things like this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no provision for the flesh. Well, what's that? You see, it's, it's, that's the approach that the New Testament gives us to life. It's not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, do this, do this, here's your list of ten rules, now go, go through that list every, with all the people you're in. Brethren, you know what you find when you come to the... Now look, that's also not to say that we don't discard the Word and we don't discard... We don't do that. It's not just we float around acting on feelings. Obviously, what we do is guided by the Word. But what we don't find is a list of rules. In fact, one of the things I was thinking about as Craig was talking is if you look at Jesus Christ, you'll notice He didn't deal with any two people the same. He dealt with people where they were. He dealt with people... Based on their, and it's kind of the feeling that we get from Paul. He's giving all these different categories and he's saying, I operated different in all of them. Brethren, we need wisdom. I mean, on one hand, you've got the scriptures that say, Christ says, I, Look, I didn't come to bring peace. And the very primary spot he said there won't be peace is in the family. And so I guarantee you this if you're being faithful to the truth that God has given you, It's going to tend to divide. So don't read anything into into what Craig said that that you avoid division at all costs. That's not what he was saying. But on the other hand, you do have the, the second Timothy and the gentleness. You have at times not letting people in your door Like John says, not even greeting people. Otherwise, you're a partaker with them. And yet at other times, bearing with. You you see, living the Christian life, which is really what we're going to be looking at today, it's not just a list of formulas and rules. It's walking in the Spirit. It's putting on Christ. It's right in the middle of the situation, 
What, what is it to walk in the Spirit? It's crying out, help me. It's, there's dependency there. Constantly, it's not just, well, I've got all this together. I know that I need to go in and I need to say this exact formula. It's crying out in the midst of things, Lord, I need help. Help me to say the right thing. Give me opportunity. Give me an open door. I mean, it's, it's, you know how it is. Sometimes we're with people and we, just, we don't have any liberty. And then all of a sudden, God opens that door. And then there's liberty. Or how we speak to people one time and they're just hard as a rock. And yet at another time, they just open right up. Well, what's the difference? I mean, we're so dependent on the Lord in all this. Put on Jesus Christ. Man, you know, you figure out how to do that in the Christian life, and I'll tell you this, then you've got it figured out. When you figure out how to walk in the Spirit, how to put on Jesus Christ, you're there. I mean, that's, that's what it is to live the Christian life. But see, the question is always, how do we get there? Well, let's, let's try to wrestle. We tried to wrestle some with this last week. We've been trying to wrestle with it. How to love. Just how to genuinely love. And wrestling with this through Romans 12, Romans 13. Let's go to Romans 13, verse 11. Read these four verses here. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and sensuality. Not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. One of the things I always want to do when I come to the Word, I mean, you can imagine how it is, right? I get done preaching last week and... I, I did verses 8, 9, and 10. Well, now this week I begin to look and I begin to ponder in verses 11 through 14. That's where my attention is. I want to figure out the logic. I want to figure out, Paul, where are you coming from? Where are you going to? Why are you saying what you say? I want to feel the force of his arguments. So when I start reading Romans 13.11 and, and read these two words, besides this, my first response is to ask what question? Besides what? Paul, what are you talking about? What is this, what is this referred to? Now look, in the original, it says, and this. Knowing the time. That's basically what you've got. The NAS says, do this. But you know what? If you've got the NAS, you'll find do in italics. Guess why? Because it's not there in the original. They add it. Do this. Likewise, the, the New King James says, and 
do this. But again, they're adding some, they're adding the word do. The old KJV is probably one of the most accurate here. And that. And that knowing the time. Well, what is the that or the this that's on Paul's mind? Now look, before I answer that, let me just tell you something. Let me give you an example here so that maybe, maybe you're wondering, I'm not even getting, and, and that, knowing the time? Maybe that just sounds strange to your ears. But I think if you, if you think with me for a second here about some other places where you've read the Apostle Paul, he speaks this way. Listen, Philippians 1.28, not frightened in anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. There's exactly the same construction. Again, let me give you another example. Very familiar verse. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Exact same construction once again. 1 Corinthians 6.6 6, Brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers. So you guys see the, you see the kind of construction we have? There's, there's a reference to something before. Now if you think about this, the main point of the preceding verses, or the preceding paragraph, is really found there in verse 8. Look at it. Romans 13.8 Owe no one anything except to love each other. That was the main point. That's where Paul's coming from. Look, I basically believe what's being said here is this. Owe no one anything except to love each other and this knowing the time. I believe that's exactly what he's saying. I don't think we want to say besides this the way the ESV does. Because that implies Paul wants our mind to shift away from love to something else. Besides that, there's also this. But I don't think he's doing that. In the original it says, and this. The love. That's where he wants us thinking. This, knowing the time. In other words, there's something about the time that has to do with love. Let's look. I think what Paul's doing here is he's wanting to give us another incentive to love. Knowing the time. You know where he's been coming from, right? Romans 12. He says, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection in verse 10. He talks about loving our enemies, right? Bless those who persecute you, right? As he's, as he's getting towards the end of the chapter there. And he's saying to feed them and clothe them and do good to them. He stays on that thought when he comes over to Romans 13 and he says, Oh, no man, anything but to love one another. And this knowing the time. Paul is saying there's something about the time we are in right now that ought to stir us up to love. And you know what the thing about it is? He assumes we know what it is. Right? And this knowing the time. He's assuming... In the ESV it says you know the time, but it's a participle, which means that we ought to expect an ing ending the way most translations bring it out, knowing the time. But either way... What Paul's doing is he's assuming we know the time. And what we're supposed to know about it, Paul assumes ought to motivate us to give to others, care for others, help others, seek the greatest good of others, just the way 
We seek our own good. That's what he told us to do. That's what he's talking about. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. But let me ask you something. And this is where it hits home. If you were here on Wednesday night, I announced that up from my house, where there used to be that old Catholic convent, there's a halfway house coming in there. Mark and I went and met with the company that's going to run that operation, and we've now been given the opportunity to go in there and minister to men coming out of prison. You weren't here on Wednesday? That was announced. I have applications. We're going to be sent to the FBI to get us clearance so that any of us who want to go in there, that I assume clear the FBI search, can actually get in there. But what I, w- what I was wondering as I was putting this, this message together is how many of the men thought, man, knowing the time, I'm going in there. I thought, how come I don't think anybody thought that way? And yet, how come it sounds to me like Paul's thinking that way? How come it sounds to me like Paul's thinking, knowing the time, I'm definitely going to do this. How many of us had it cross our minds? Man, knowing the time, we need to plant a church in Laredo. That's necessary. How many of you thought that knowing the time we want to love Ramiro and Angela in the time when Angela's been told she's got cancer and probably isn't going to live much longer? How many of us are thinking that way? How many of us had that come in our mind and flood our mind knowing the time? How many of us were desperate to love? How many of us are thinking, wow, knowing the time, we definitely want to give more to missions in 2010. We want to up this thing. We want to expand this thing. Brethren, Honestly, how many of us are thinking this way? And yet, doesn't it seem to be that Paul is thinking exactly this way? He knows something about the time that moves him deeply. The thing about it is, I'm wondering, what is it? And then beyond that, it's like he actually assumes we also know the time. So, my thought was, lest we be embarrassed if Paul showed up, expecting us to know what time it is, and he asked us, and we didn't know, that we probably should figure it out, right? We don't want to show that we're actually ignorant about... What is it about the time? What time is it? What is it about our time right now, today, that that ought to speak to us in a way that constrains us and causes us to feel the necessity to show genuine love. What is it? Well, I I want to give you four answers. And what I want to do is simply pull it right out of these texts. I really I want to pull one answer from each of the texts. So here we go. And if, if you glance down at each of the texts, I think you're going to see that what I bring out is I'm, I'm not fabricating and I'm not dreaming it up. It, it's there. Other things could be said about the time. I think, I think maybe in other places Paul gives us greater insights into the time in certain aspects, but I, I, I don't want to be consistent with the text. I, I really don't want to needlessly jump around when I think Paul gives us some things right here. Okay, the first one. What time are we in? 
at this time, if you're, now listen, if you're truly a Christian, if you're here and you're not truly a Christian, I'll tell you what time it is. It's time to lay down your arms of rebellion. It's time to surrender to Christ. That's what time it is. Because you're not promised that you have tomorrow. I'll tell you what time it is. This is the day of salvation. Because you don't know you're going to make it to tonight. Or tomorrow. Or the next day. That's what the Bible tells you time it is. It's time to repent. It's time to surrender. But for us Christians, at this time, your salvation is closer than ever. You guys all see it there? Now think about, think about it. Let's, let's read it like I think Paul imagines us to read it. Oh, no one anything but to love one another, and this knowing the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer us now than when we first believed. So let's ask this question. How does it help me to know that my salvation is closer right now than when I first believed? How does that help me love? How does that encourage me to love? But wait, before I go on with that, somebody might, if you're you're thinking... You might ask yourself this. Salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You might be saying, hey, wait a second. I thought I was already saved. I thought that when I believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, right at that moment I received salvation. Why does Paul talk here about salvation like it's something that's yet future? Is he, is he trying to imply to us that we're not already saved? And, and that it's yet future? Listen, you know what one of our problems is? Now look, I I want to view things from a biblical perspective. One of our problems is that we just simply have an unbiblical view of salvation. If Look, do this. Do this sometimes. You've got a concordance at home or you've got a Bible program? Go and search everywhere where the words save, saved, saving. All the forms of save. Or salvation. Look at all of them through the entire New Testament. Guess what you find? The vast majority, the vast majority have to do with the fact that we are being saved or will be saved. Rarely. Now it's there. And to talk of it as past tense is not absolutely foreign to the Scriptures. But it's by far the minority. By grace, you have been saved. There's an example where it's past tense. But by and large, it's not. And yet, isn't it amazing that when you and I talk, almost 100% of the time, we talk past tense. Where it seems like the Bible, 95% of the time, talks present and future. We really do have an unbiblical way about the way we talk about salvation. Typically, we tend to view salvation as a singular past event. We talk among ourselves about when we were saved. Brings up thoughts of a past time when we initially came to faith in Christ. Like I say, thinking that way is not error. The problem is we tend to think primarily that way, while the Bible primarily looks at salvation as something ongoing or as something yet future. 1 Peter 1.5 A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Matthew 10.22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. But you know what the problem is? 
And we, we feed on this ourselves, even though maybe we don't like the saying, we live in the once saved, always saved era, where that kind of lingo gets tossed around. And yet it's interesting, the Bible does not talk like that. Once saved, always saved. The Bible talks, if you persevere to the end, you will be saved. People, want to, people so often want to rest in that past. But let me tell you this. Paul talks about forgetting things behind. Let's evaluate things right now. I can tell you what Paul's doing right here. He's saying, don't remember the past. He's not calling to mind so much the past. He's saying, think about what time it is right now. Knowing the time. Not knowing the past. Knowing the time right now. What's the thing about the time right now? Your salvation is closer right now than it's ever been. We're closer. You say closer to what? Listen, I can remember one time reading about John G. Payton in the New Hebrides. He was there among the cannibals. Well, some of the traders had left these cannibals muskets. And they came out with their muskets one day and he was out doing something next to his hut and they pulled up and they were ready to kill him. And he actually began to black out and fade back and forth from consciousness to unconsciousness. And he didn't say that it came out of a dread that he was going to go to hell or be damned. It came out of the confidence of a man who had assurance he was saved, but the reality that he might that very moment step into the presence of the Almighty God was almost more than he could take. Now let me tell you something. If you think that's going to be a light matter standing before the Lord God on that day, it's not. And what I read in the Scriptures is that even the Christian is going to have his works tested so as by fire. And some people are going to have their stuff burned. Folks, it's a, it's a, I was thinking about it in one of these songs. Let me hide myself in Him. I guarantee you, when you come and you see what Christ looks like on that judgment throne, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude that you are in Him. You will see Him as He is and you will realize what Craig just mentioned or somebody just mentioned not too long ago, that outside of Christ, God is a terror. I think that's something Spurgeon said. What are we close to? Our salvation is at hand. It is closer. Look, we are closer to our salvation than we were a Sunday ago. We're closer to what? We're closer to standing in the glory. The blinding glory. We are closer to the end. We are closer to seeing Christ. To being with Christ. We are closer to having to give an account. We are closer. Closer to the time when our day is over and there is no more opportunity to work. Closer to our eternal rest. Closer to paradise. Closer to having each of our works taken by the living Christ with those eyes that search everything and examining that work. That's what we're close to. Closer to the joys of glory. But closer than we have ever been before. So how does that encourage us to love? Probably two ways. I mean, one negatively, one positively. And on the positive side, I would say this. Look, this is to you that you know what it is to be in the crucible. Folks, if you're in the fires, you know, you know what Paul's saying to you? Your marriage hard? 
thing with the children, thing with the parents, thing with friends, thing with the health problem. He's saying, hang in there. The grief, the pain, the sorrow, the hurt, the trouble, the trial, it has an end. And you're closer than you've ever been before. You're closer to having the tear wiped away than you've ever been. I'll tell you this, when we hurt, when we suffer, there's a tendency to crawl away and hide. And Paul's saying, look, you know the time. Even if you're suffering greatly, and Paul could say it, I became all things to all men. He was looking for some way, somehow, to win men. In fact, did he not even say, I thought Craig was going to go there this morning, to what he said in Romans 9. A willingness to be cursed and damned with Christ that His brethren in the flesh might be saved. You say, who is this guy that thinks that way? It's a guy that was beat by rods. He was whipped. He was scourged and shipwrecked and attacked by false brethren and by the Jews and suffered and his list is long. You say, wow, if anybody should have crawled in a hole and hid. And it's the same Paul that comes out to you and says, look, I can identify with your suffering. I've been there. But Christian, hang in there. I mean, you're... Your salvation is even now on the horizons. In fact, brethren, some of you are going to be in that glory before you think. Look, there's one, there is one true Christian in this room who is going to be the first of all that hear my voice right now to see the Beloved face to face. And it's going to happen a lot faster than you think it is. For some of you, it may be at hand. Brethren, whatever time it is, it's closer to that time when your full salvation will be revealed closer to seeing Christ, being like Christ, being engulfed by the glory of Christ than ever before. Brethren, the fact is this, we do become weary. I do, you do. We become weary of fighting sin, fighting those who oppose us, fighting those who oppose our faith, fighting, fighting, fighting. There's friction. Some of us are in situations where we're in friction in the workplace, in the classroom, but especially in the family. Friction. We become weary. We get tired. We get burned out. And Paul's saying, Christian, press on. Look up. Wake up. See that your salvation is near. Don't shut down. Don't become numb to the trials and the needs of others because of your own hurt. Don't withdraw. Don't decide to coast. Know the time. It's short. Up and to the work. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And we could go to the we could go to the negative side of this. Some, it's not so much you're suffering right now, although there, that may be in the mix, as much as you're wasting time. You're being prodded here to wake up. Give yourself to the work of love. Why? Because the time is running out. 
Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Every one of us only has a certain little window, an amount of designated time. Look, every one of us only has, from the time we're saved, till we die or Christ comes. And that's it. And I can tell you this, we're in a first generation church by and large. Lots of us were saved later. Our window is small. Folks, let me tell you this. It is better to lose your life than waste your life. And this is a prod to some that are wasting life. Christ said night is coming when no one can work. Only one life. You were made for God. I tell you, don't waste it. I, I can remember when I went to India second time. I went to Sarampore. Just north of Calcutta. I stood next to William Carey's remains. His tomb. Overgrown cemetery. It's all Hindu. They don't care about a bunch of old, dead, British, Christian people. It's all overgrown. You know one thing that really struck me? This man lived. This man loved. This man worked. This man wept. This man lost wives. He lost children. He ran the race. Folks, you know what really pressed me there? He's gone. Men like that are gone. It's, it's our turn now. The torch has been handed to us. And you've only just got a little bit of time. That's it. That's it. Just a little bit of time. Time, time, time. And it's passing away. If you wasted this last week, you don't get it back. And you've only got one shot. You've only got one go around at this, folks. Only one. And only what's done for Christ. You know the same. Only that, folks, lasts. There's nothing else matters. And think about what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things is at hand. In 2 Peter there, he says, the door, day of the Lord is coming. It's coming like a thief. He says the heavens are going to pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Listen to what he says. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Lives of holiness and godliness. Brethren, I ask you this. If we have a little bit of time in all this stuff, and your cars and your house and your stuff and the things you work on at work and the things you work on in school and very soon all those school books and all those projects at work and all that yard and that house and that car are going to be gone. 
these clothes. How much time do people put into buying clothes? And it's going to be gone. What sort of people ought we to be? Paul, Paul feels this. He, when he says this, he, it, it comes through him in other places as he writes. You see it over and over. He felt it. Listen, Paul was a man who went to heaven. Paul was a man who personally saw Christ. He saw things in a way you and I haven't. And he says, brothers and sisters, you don't have much time. You need to take the time you have and you need to do with it what you can. And you need to work well. He says in one place, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they were not mourning. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. Those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Brethren, the time is short. Owe no one anything but to love one another. And this, knowing the time, your salvation has never been so near. God help us to number our days. <clears throat> the second one comes from verse 12. At this time, if you're truly a Christian, the night's far gone. You read it there. Verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Look, you know what I thought about? The night is far gone. Have any of you ever overslept? I mean really overslept. I don't mean for five or ten minutes. I mean it's that kind of thing where maybe you've been staying up a lot of nights or you stayed up the night before. You've got something pressing. You've got a test in the morning. You've got to be at work. You've already been late for work a couple times. You've got whatever it is. you've got an appointment tomorrow. It's really important that you keep it, but you're behind in your sleep. You hit the bed, you set the alarm, and for whatever reason, you set it for 6 p.m. rather than 6 a.m. Or there was a thunderstorm in the night and the power went out. Or you were just in such a blithering daze when the alarm went off, you didn't even know it went off and you turned it off and just in a stupor went back to sleep. It seems like it was in my lost days that I remember being in that place. And you know what it's like. I mean, you've overslept by an hour and two hours. Whatever appointment, whatever class, whatever work, it's gone. But you're there and you're so comfortable and you just got a really good night's sleep. And... But what happens? You wake up and you open up your eyes and what's the first thing you realize? It is way too bright in this room! And panic just strikes you. You look at the clock and... You were supposed to be up at 5.30 and it's 9.30! Any of you ever been there? When I read this, it made me feel that way. 
I looked at this and you know what? It's late. The night is far gone. The sun's been up for hours. The day is already well at hand. Opportunities have already been wasted. All these things. I think that this is somewhat of the spiritual picture Paul is trying to paint for us here in verse 12. Only in the spiritual realm. He's saying, wake up, get up. The night is far gone. Day is upon you. Cast off your pajamas and put on your daytime clothes. Brethren, have any of you ever felt this way about spiritual things? I was just saying a second ago, most of us are first generation Christians. You know what that means for most of us? We weren't saved when we were little children. God came, Christ came, finally woke me up when I was 25 years old. And when He awakened me and my eyes opened, you know the feeling I had? I had the same feeling. No. No. I wasted 25 years of my life with just useless pursuits. I look back now, I didn't learn to play a guitar. I didn't learn to play... There are some worldly things that you can do that you can pull over once you're a Christian and make some use of. I mean, I wasted 25 years of my life. There was nothing, nothing I did or gave myself to being good at that was worth anything in the spiritual realm. Can you imagine, folks? Some of you, you're there with me, our eyes open, and we realize, no, the day is at hand. The night is far past. Here I am. Hours and hours and hours of television and movies and mindless trash, useless pursuits. But I can tell you this. We can't change the past. We can never we can never get it back. It's gone. I was 25 years old. I felt a panic. I ran out and I got involved in Youth for Christ. I got involved in Big Brother, Little Brother program. A number of other things. I, I just wanted to fill my life. I wanted to use it well. I just this sense. I've wasted. I've wasted. I've wasted 25 years of just living selfishly and aimlessly and mindlessly pursuing the appetites of a brute beast. Not loving others. Loving to feed my rabid pursuit of pleasure, fun, greed. July of 1990, Christ shined on me. I woke up. But I did look over that past 25 years with sorrow. Endless hours of waste. I can remember saying... Enough. 
I can't undo the past, but I can certainly cast off those wicked clothes, my night clothing, my selfish, aimless pajamas, and however feeble the attempt, put on love and compassion for others. You can't undo lost time. If you wasted yesterday, it's gone. Look, wherever, wherever you're at in that day of your life, whether it's 9 a.m., 10 a.m., 2 in the afternoon, what you can do is get out of bed. Get rid of those wicked clothes that you wore during the night. You don't need them anymore. You're a child of day, a child of light. Night clothes are a thing of the past. Why? Because sleeping is a thing of the past. Christian, it's time to put on daytime clothes. Put on the armor of light. Brethren, listen to me. Do we believe heaven and hell are real? Do we believe that the the masses of humanity out there are actually on the verge of entering into eternal horrors? We say, oh, we sing, Christ is glorious. We talk about souls being of great value. I mean, think about it. Is, is there or is there not a war going on between the devil and Christ? Are we in a time when there is a battle of truth and error? Where souls hang in the balance? We say, we say so. If it's true, folks, up. Up. We must fight the temptation. And isn't, isn't the temptation there? The temptation to what? To love the same toys that the world loves? We must resist the temptation to want to fit in. Resist the temptation to love what the world loves. To call this world our home. It's burning up, folks. We get to the place where with our money we begin to do the same thing the world does. We look out there. Are we radical? Are we feverishly seeking to love? Do we remember the time? Look at how you spend your money, man! Look at how you spend your money. What are you spending it on? We get to the place as Christians where we start calling needs what's nothing more than a luxury. Travel to India. Look at how the people live. Oh, well, I need that. You need that. Brethren, get out of bed and look around. Wake up. It's daytime. That means there's light. It means we ought to be able to see to the work. I guarantee you this, the devil isn't asleep. Brethren, no one owe anything but to love one another in this knowing the time. The night is far gone, the day is upon you. The third thing I bring out of verse 13. This is a very quick one. But at this time, if you're a true Christian, it's time to walk properly. You see that there, Romans 13.13? 13? Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. You all see the word properly, right? Let us walk properly. Properly is in the daytime. There's a proper way to walk. There's a proper way to run. A proper way to advance. A proper way to fight in the daytime. It's different than the way people run and walk at night. Now, brethren, I, I can remember 
I mean, these are one of the stories that I'm sure when my friend told me when I was lost, we all laughed and, and really we were in a roar over the thing. But it, it crossed my mind as, as something that probably a good physical illustration of something that I want to emphasize here. Because this friend of mine from high school, and he was relaying the story. He's telling me how he was running through somebody's backyard one dark night. Now I can imagine it in my darkness, or in, in, in my mind right now, that he told me the backyard, and I know the place. So I can see it in my mind right now. Running. You know, you're in high school. You're 18 years old. You're running. It's dark. You feel fast. You feel free. Nighttime Michigan cool wind going past you. Wham! He runs right into the end of a picnic table. Full speed. Stumbled and fell in a pile on the ground. I say stumbled, just because it works well in my illustration. He likely just stopped dead on a nail and collapsed right there. Brethren, let me tell you something. That's not the way we walk and run in the daytime. Why? Because we have light in the daytime. We see things as they are. Now listen to this. John says this in 1 John 2.10, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. I thought that verse was very interesting because it connects stumbling, light, and love. You don't run into picnic tables and stumble when you abide in the light. Stumbling into quarreling and jealousy and lust, it's, it's not proper for those who abide in the light. Love and light go together. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Love and daytime light go together. Look, all I bring out here is according to God's time, the daytime is the proper time to love. Not for running into picnic tables of sexual immorality and all sorts of sensuality. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. You see that? We belong to the day, so be sober and put on breastplate of faith and love. There's the connection again. Day and love. Brethren, it's daytime. Be sober. Don't drunkenly run into tables in the dark. It's proper in the daytime to love. Not to envy, be jealous, lust, be greedy. Owe no one anything but to love one another. Why? And this, knowing the time. It's daytime. It's time to walk proper. Love is proper in the daytime. Number four and the last one. Verse 14. Like I say, I'm going to enlarge more on this verse next week. But at this time as a child of light, it is time to put on Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Brethren, there's something about the time we are in. Now, you've got to feel this. 
put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we know the Bible well enough, we've come across that text enough times that we've probably become desensitized to it. But I'll tell you this, there's no other religion that talks this way. Have you ever heard a Muslim say, I need to put on Muhammad? Nobody ever talks about putting on Confucius or putting on Buddha. Nobody, nobody. Brethren, we find in Romans 13, 14, it's almost unbelievable if you really stop and think about it. Isn't, isn't this condescending of the Lord to even talk this way? To allow such a thing to be said of Himself? It's almost as though Jesus is likened to a cloak or a shirt or a robe, a garment to be put on. Look, you know what I started thinking? Jesus describes Himself a number of ways in the Scriptures. He says, I am the way. I am the true vine. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I'm the light of the world. I'm the resurrection and the life. Noble titles. But in these words in Romans 13.14, it's almost as though Jesus is saying through the Apostle, I am the shirt. Or I am the robe. It's a wonderful expression. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, here it is. Owe no one anything but to love one another, and this knowing the time. Brethren, do you know the time? It's time to wear Christ. This needs to grip us. The hour is at the hour is at hand when Christ is wearable. Now, I don't know, Craig. Craig didn't hit as much on this this morning as I thought he might have, because I know that. Um, I know that one of the things about having a bunch of zealous young people in the church is that we need to talk about putting on Christ. We need to talk about the kind of things Craig talked about this morning. Um, you know, there's, there's no question. If, if any of us, it, it seems especially the case when you're a little bit older in life, like a teenager, 20-something, 30-something year old, God saves you. And then add to that even that you come to the doctrines of grace. To be a new Christian, having come to the doctrines of grace, and being saved a little bit older in life, it tends to be a formula for something that isn't always good. You know what I mean by that? Brethren, sometimes it seems that when we get out of our beds in the morning, some of us may seem to be more <laughs> dressed in a certain manner, like we put on Genghis Khan or Godzilla <laughs> than the Lord Jesus. And, and, but what happens is we can thunder around with all of our little proper doctrinal distinctives or even later on, we can, we can thunder around with our, our convictions about homeschooling, or he brought up Christmas, or this, our little proper interpretations, our Calvinism, and all other manner of these, these doctrinal... The, the things that are important, no question about it. But we can be to people more like this bellowing beast than 
really those who are wearing Christ. Look, when we look at this, Paul doesn't say to put on the robe of doctrinal superiority. Now, you know what? The truth is, if anybody had good doctrine, it was Christ. Now, you know what the truth is? The truth is that those of us that sit in this room might very well be doctrinally superior to 99.9% of the world. And and I'm, I'm not saying that with arrogance. I'm saying that because there may be some truth in that. When we look around, we see vast amounts of error. Now, no doubt, we've got some and we're blind to it as well. But we may be doctrinally superior over most of those that we come across. But we're not to put that on. There are times to be quiet. There are times, you know what? There are times when somebody talks about the rapture, you don't got to get head over heels. Let it go. There, I, I can't tell how many times people come into this church, they want to join the church, they do join the church, and they'll say something so off the cuff and so unbiblical, and a lot of times it's, they're talking about some tradition or some, some thing they learned and they came out of their background. And you know what? It just doesn't need to be dealt with. There are far more important things in that person's life that need attention than that. Just let it go. And even if you know the right answer, so what? That doesn't mean we're throwing our doctrine out the window. It just means if we're going to love people, doctrinal astuteness is not like when a guy comes through the window, you know, I just need to dive over there and tackle the guy and, you know, you believe the rapture? And just pop the guy until he's, no, I don't believe it anymore. Brethren, I'll tell you something else he doesn't tell us to put on. He doesn't, doesn't say to put on the garb of the inquisitor. You guys know about the Inquisition? Basically, they were looking for heretics. You don't have to be at, standing at the door smelling everybody that comes in like you're some spiritual hound dog. Got to find out if they're saved or not. Got to find out if... Look, we want to know where people are at. We want to we nurture their souls. But that's not what we're called to. He doesn't say put on the long face and show everyone how miserable you now are as Christians. Brethren, he certainly doesn't say put on some fire god who goes around fighting and debating, puffing and smoking and fuming and fire at everybody. Jesus basically said this in one place. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly. That doesn't mean there aren't times when you say to the Pharisee, you whited walls, you you whited sepulchers. How are you going to escape damnation? That's not walking in and saying to Aunt Sally, you know, first thing, give her a kiss on the cheek, you're going to hell. That's not that kind of thing. 
But there is a place for sound people. How will you escape damnation? There's a place for that, folks. And he who was meek and lowly knew when. This is why I'm saying, putting on Jesus Christ, learning of Him, brethren, we need the Spirit of God. We need a power greater than our own reasoning abilities. We need help here. We need to know when to speak. There is a time to speak. And there's a time to hold our tongue. There's a time to fight and a time to lay low. There's a time to jump on error and there's a time to let it go. There's a time to breathe fire. And there's a time to not. Brethren, did you get that? He said, learn of Me. Why? Why is that so important? Well, brethren, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we talk about putting on clothes, you think about putting on a shirt. You know what I can know about this sweater? Well, let's put it this way. You know what I don't have to know about this sweater to be able to put it on? I don't need to know where it came from. I don't need to know where it was made. I don't need to know if it's synthetic or natural. I really don't even need to know what size it is. I don't need to know whether it's clean or dirty. It might be good if I know that, but I don't really need to know that if I put it on. There's a whole lot I don't need to know about this shirt to put it on. Let me tell you something. You don't do that with Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is not like a shirt that we just stupidly and ignorantly put on. You know why? We can only wear Him as we behold Him. We can only wear Him as we learn of Him. Paul says in another place that we are being transformed into the same image. How? As we behold the Lord. We are transformed from one degree to another. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Brethren, if you behold Him, you become transformed into His likeness. Look, it's like this. Rumi and I just went to this Drury. You know, you go downtown and you got all the Christmas shoppers and they're all out. And you know, there's like department stores down there in the downtown mall. You got these display windows. You know what? It's almost like this. It's almost like standing outside the display window and looking at a shirt on a mannequin. And as you look at it, the Spirit of God somehow strangely and mysteriously begins to cause that shirt to appear on you. That's how it is with Christ. You've got to know the piece of clothing. You've got to learn of the piece of clothing. You've got to behold the piece of clothing in order to be wearing and be transformed to where when people look at you, you appear like Christ. You see, it's altogether different. There's a spiritual mystery in this. But I'll tell you, in this way, it's not a mystery. The Father has designed it this way so that Christ becomes the very focal point of our affection in the whole thing. We only wear Him as we see Him. We only wear Him as we gaze. It's that way. We behold Christ's gentleness. We behold His meekness, His patience, His tears, His sacrifice, His groans. Our, you know what? In order to wear Him when you see, you've got to take a groan of Christ. If you're going to groan like He did, I mean groan when there's death, when there's sin, when there's distress. 
If you're going to shed tears like He did as He wept over a city of unbelievers, there's got to be a processing. Your mind has to dig in. There's got to be thoughts. You've got to be... You, there's got to be emotions. You've got to feel this. You've got to be broken by this. You've got to be... You, you've got to feel what you see. You've got to be affected. Christ has to be a living thing, a living person. There needs to be a gentleness and a compassion and a meekness and a love and a way about Him that is living. And when you look at Him, you see it. And you begin to... You begin to have a sense of it and your mind begins to understand it and you begin to learn it. You begin to see it. You begin to know it. You begin to hear His words and feel His attitudes and feel His pains and feel His love. Jesus endured the cross. You you just think about this. He endured the cross with all its unknown horrors. His enemies are there in derision. They're saying He saved others. Let him, let him save himself. Come down off that cross. Himself he cannot save. Brethren, he could have saved himself. He could have come down off that cross just as, just as easily as he can come out of the tomb. He could have, didn't you hear him in one place? He said to his disciples, I, I could easily call to myself a legion of angels. I could be delivered here in a second. The fact is, He could have come down from that cross had He wanted to. Then why does He stay there? Why stay there and have your soul poured out like water? And I'll tell you this, Paul gives us the answer. Listen to this. Ephesians 5.2 Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know what he knew? He knew unless he sacrificed himself for his people as an offering for our sins, an atonement to the justice of God, then we would be damned. You say, I know about the cross. His father crushed him. I know about the cross. It says in the Psalms, he was poured out like water. I know that the Bible says Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. What you may have never put together before in your life though is that I didn't read to you that whole verse from Ephesians 5 too. You You know what unimaginable thing Paul says? And you walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. You see, again, it comes back to love. How do I, how do, I do this? How do I wear such a garment. I don't know hardly what to do with this. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself. Brethren, I'll leave that in whatever imperfect ways it finds fulfillment in your life for you to figure out, for you to gaze on that love of Christ 
for you to look at it. I can tell you this. Oh, no one anything but to love. And this, knowing the time. What time is it? It's time to put on Christ. If it's time to put on Christ, then it is time to behold Christ. You cannot wear Him unless you see Him. You do not transform into the image unless that image is burned into you by gazing upon Him. Brethren, your salvation is closer than it's ever been. It's daytime. It's time to walk proper. It's time to dress yourself with Christ.